Good afternoon, Jordan Lewis from the Capital City on KINY. Communications Manager and Geologist with the Alaska Earthquake Center, Elizabeth Nadine, talks about the two earthquakes near Glacier Bay that occurred on Friday. Not unusual for the quakes in your region. The two earthquakes that happened were what we consider moderate size. So there was a magnitude 5.1 and a magnitude 5.3. And what was a little unusual about them was that they occurred 45 minutes apart. So that's pretty closely spaced for two, you know, uh, moderate sized earthquakes. The earthquake center also recorded several aftershocks, with the largest being a magnitude 3.8 at about 9.11 p.m. There were no reports of injuries or significant damage. The main shocks and larger aftershocks were felt in southeast communities and in northern British Columbia, in part because of their size, but also because these were shallow events. I should mention, too, that um, part of the reason these earthquakes are felt so strongly by people at the surface is that they happened um, fairly shallowly. So... They were about five miles deep in the crust. So an earthquake that's moderate sized and that's shallow in the crust will certainly be felt more than even than a big earthquake that's much deeper down. Nadine says this is what causes earthquakes to happen in the southeast area somewhat regularly. Your area of Alaska there is actually right in between two major active strike slip faults. So just north of you is the Denali Fault and just south of you is the Fairweather Fault. And because those two faults are constantly moving, it's basically squeezing the cross that sits in between the fault. Nadine also shares information about previous events. In the past 10 years, we've actually had uh, three other about magnitude 5 earthquakes with the same kind of, um, you know, earthquake or fault motion um, between those two faults. With that, like I said, that was within the past 10 years, about magnitude 5-ish. And then, you know, in the past 50 years or so, the two largest earthquakes have been a magnitude 6.2 and a magnitude 6.3. Those were back in May of 2017. And about 60 miles north of where your recent earthquakes were, Ella Atkinson, one of the newest members of the Juno Assembly, joined Action Line on Friday. Here are her plans now that she's been elected for a two-year term for an area-wide seat. Well, you know, I think some of the things I really talked about was housing. That's one that I think we all should be focusing on, especially now with things like Telephone Hill coming up. I think it's one that's going to be uh, short-term rentals as well. I think it's something that's going to be kind of coming down the pipe a lot. So that's something I've really been meeting with the city manager about, and I'm hoping to work on on the Assembly pretty much right away. She also gives some pros and cons on Telephone Hill being redeveloped. She says although she can see both sides, she thinks Telephone Hill having more units available would be beneficial to the community. I think that there's a couple different points of view here, and this is just my take on it, is, you know, there are people who are living there, and that's a tough situation to be in, especially with the housing market in Juneau, which part of the reason we want to develop Telephone Hill is because the market's so bad. But that's a a tough spot to put those people in, for sure. And then I think there's also a lot of people who have been in Juneau a long time that have seen it change around them, and this is kind of another sign of that change. I don't know that that change is necessarily a bad thing, you know, I understand that it's a green space, it's a lovely place in downtown Juneau, but I think there's also a lot of the community wants housing downtown. Atkinson also gives her thoughts on the warming shelter opening. 
Yeah, so this is obviously a very tough situation. I'm actually really impressed by how city staff have sort of adapted and moved with such a tight time frame because as we saw this last week, it got really cold real fast and it's really good that the uh, warming shelter opened when it did. Um, you know, the Thane warehouse is obviously, there's pros and cons to that, right? Like it needs to, uh, we had to have porta potties outside and it's figuring out how to heat it well enough is sort of like an ever adapting situation um, and transportation is another issue with it but you know the city has really worked to you know adapt to that and having enough transportation so that people can get there and back and setting it up so quickly St. Vincent de Paul has been really great staffing it Coast Guard, Alaska Department of Environmental Conservation, and Hanson Maritime are responding to a sunken vessel near Sitka that had no people on board. The Coast Guard received the initial report of a 34-foot-long fishing vessel having sunk in Sitka Sound while sitting unmanned at anchor Friday night. Coast Guard Marine Safety Detachment Sitka is working with Hanson Maritime and the Alaska Department of Environmental Conservation to salvage the vessel and contain the spread of pollution. A containment boom has been deployed around the vessel and divers were able to plug the vents once they arrived on scene. Containment efforts are still ongoing. Coming up, an Alaska state agency faces a new backlog in processing applications for people seeking food stamp benefits. That story is next on News of the North. An Alaska state agency faces a new backlog in processing applications for people seeking food stamp benefits more than a year after it first fell behind in recertifying applicants. The current backlog of new and returning applications totals about 6,000, according to the Anchorage Daily News. It was created after resources were focused on clearing an older backlog in applications from Alaskans who, in some cases, waited as long as 11 months for benefits from the federally funded Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, according to Deb the Alaska Division of Public Assistance. Etheridge said officials from the U.S. Food and Nutrition Service directed her agency to prioritize the older applications, even if it meant newer applications might get delayed. The state has also resumed interviews and income verifications that were waived as part of the federal public health emergency related to the pandemic. Carter, Chief of Advocacy and Public Policy at the Food Bank of Alaska, said, We knew that alone would also create probably some additional delays because it's additional work that the team is needed to take on. Mulder and Etheridge said that the current delays have not been as long as those during the original backlog. They are still affecting Alaskans, saying, We've heard from people waiting two to three months, which feels pretty different than somebody waiting six to eight months. None of it's great, but I think people in this backlog have been waiting for a shorter time, according to Durr. Superintendent for the Juneau School District, Frank Hauser, and the Director of Teaching and Learning, Christine Garot, joined Action Line. Hauser says this is a big highlight now that the first quarter of the school year is over. Alaska Reads Act, you know, this this is the first year that we've been implementing the Alaska Reads Act, especially for our kindergarten through third grade students. The Alaska Reads Act is a is a pretty big change for uh, the state of Alaska and in the Juneau School District. You know, we've been doing and providing um, our early literacy instruction based around the science of reading for a number of years now. Um, but having the Alaska Reads Act formalizes some of the expectations. And as we've been implementing and uh, providing professional development for staff, there's been a lot that's been coming up around with Alaska. Alaska Reads Act and that implementation uh, of the Reads Act. says this is what she likes about the Alaska Reads Act. The changes for us, which are really more about communicating with families, more information about how their kids are doing. We've been doing a lot of the things that the Alaska Reads Act mm-hmm. has mandated now for everyone in Alaska, for all schools in Alaska. We've been doing great professional development with our teachers for several years now to help them learn more about the science of reading and appreciate how to more effectively support kids and how to learn how to read. 
and we've been assessing kids several times a year, three times a year at those benchmarks to see if they're on grade level or not for reading. The new piece for us is that families may be having some conversations if their kids aren't at benchmark yet and creating reading plans and really outlining what's happening at school and the ways that they can support at home. And Special Operations Lieutenant with the Juneau Police Department, Craig Campbell, spoke to the DEA's National Prescription Drug Take Back Day. On Saturday, the community dropped off unneeded medication for safe disposal at the station. The DEA National Take Back Day is really just a time and event scheduled for, and kind of like creates a place and time for people to bring any unwanted, unused, outdated medications that might normally just be, you know, stored in medicine cabinets or within the house. And the concern is if this medication, you know, kids could get it, other people could get it and, you know, use it and could be harmful to them. And a lot of people just don't know how to dispose of their medication. So this creates a space for them to come in, drop that off, no questions asked. We box it up, ship it off to the DA's office in Anchorage, and they safely dispose of it. The big events are held twice a year, once in April and then in October. However, JPD also takes daily drop-offs year-round. Juno Police Department does have a prescription pill drop-off box uh, here in our lobby, and that's just for typically smaller amounts, and just provides an opportunity for people to bring in prescription drugs, put it in the container, and then get them disposed of. And we use that in conjunction with the DA prescription drug take-back day, where they all get boxed up and shipped out of town. Campbell says he saw an increase in participation this fall compared to their previous events. As for used syringes and needles, those would have to be disposed of at the downtown fire station, the Glacier Fire Station, or at the Hazardous Waste Facility. Now you're up to date with News of the North. I'm Jordan Lewis.